welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget Bay. My guest today is Lauren O'Connell, who played soccer at Baylor University from 2014 to 2017. Then in 2019, she was a contestant on the season 38 of Survivor, where she finished in fifth place. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so, so excited to talk about all of these things. Um, Yeah, so thanks for inviting me. Of course, I'm pumped to have you. To be honest, when I messaged you, I was like, this is a long shot. You know, she's got like thousands and thousands of followers. (laughs) I was pumped when I heard back from you. No, I was so excited. I actually check my DMs quite a bit um, because I love talking to people that like love Survivor and love athletics and just I don't know I think that's the fun part about having and I really don't have that many followers but you know the people that follow me it's like it's fun to talk about things that I'm so passionate about oh of course yeah I'm sure you've done you know a million interviews and podcasts about Survivor but I don't know how many you've done that have really got into your career at Baylor which is impressive yeah only I think I've only done maybe one possibly like one and a half I think we like touched on it in one of my podcasts but yeah it's not something that um I spend a lot of time talking about so I'm excited to kind of get into it yeah me too and you're actually the second survivor I've had on I had Grant Matos on he was on Redemption Island with Rob and yes Russell. absolutely no way that's so fun well look at us Maybe you'll become a Survivor podcast, too. <laughs> hey, maybe. I don't think I can beat out Rob Sesternino, though. He's got, he's got oh, a stranglehold on the, on the community. Rob really does have a monopoly over that community, and he <laughs> is fantastic. Fantastic. I remember one time he said something, like, relatively nice about me on his podcast, and I was, oh, my gosh, I'm famous. I thought I was so cool, so... <laughs> He's great. He's great. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan. I listen to most of the episodes, all the ones on Survivor. But have you ever been on his podcast? I have not been on his, but I did it with um, with Mike. I did like like a spinoff type of deal. So we like did a fun little game and it's on the RHAP website, um, but I did it with different hosts. Okay. Well, Rob's got to get you on. I would love to be on Rob's podcast. Rob, if you're hearing this. I'd love to be on a podcast. <laughs> I got her first, Rob. Sorry about that. <laughs> you did. You did. I'll give you all the good details. Of course. I'm excited about that. So before we get into Survivor, I guess we'll kind of go like timeline wise. You grew up in Bakersfield, California, which is about two hours north of L.A. And I guess four hours yes. from Napa. So are you a big wine country girl? I've actually never been to Napa. Um, I don't really drink, if we're being honest, so Napa has never really been that enticing to me. Uh, I am four hours from San Diego, though, and I do love the beach, and my mom uh, went to college in San Diego for a little bit, and then she went to UCLA, so we are huge Southern California fans. Nice, nice. Uh, My friend, uh, she had a place in Carlsbad for a while. Her uh, now husband was out there for the Marines, so she was out there for a while. Didn't quite make it there. She was only there for a couple months, but it looked beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. I mean, I played, uh, I guess we'll touch on this in a minute, but I did play um, a bunch of my club. T- during my club years, I did play a lot of time down in uh, San Juan Capistrano. So I know that area quite well. Very cool. Now, do you have any siblings or is it just you? I do. I have two incredible siblings. They are way cooler, way smarter, way nicer, way more attractive than I am. They got all the good genes. <laughs> um, but my brother is... My brother is 19, about to be 20. He's a freshman at Claremont McKenna, so he's brilliant, and he plays football there, so he's athletic. 
Um, and my little sister is in seventh grade and she is just, I mean, the kindest soul you've ever met in your entire life. I truly don't think she's ever had a mean thought in her life. Uh, she plays volleyball and she's great. So yes, I am very close with my family. Oh, that's amazing. And you're the oldest. So a lot of responsibility there. Yes, I'm the oldest, so I get to do all the mess-ups and tell them what not to do. Like, don't <laughs> give your idol away on day 36. Ooh. So. Hey, we'll get into that, but I, I kind of defend you on that. You were in a weird oh, situation. I, I mean, I have written so many interviews giving the whole rundown on why I did it, and I know we'll get into it, but I don't know if you read uh, the last article I put out with, with Dalton Dalton. Ross. It gives yes. a – yeah very in-depth explanation about why I did it. So, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of poke fun at it, but I did have a little bit of reasoning behind it. Yeah. I love the line where you like, you were like, I didn't think Chris had an idol because why would he have an idol? It's like day 35. Why would he have, yeah. Why would he have an idol at day 35 when he hasn't been in the game for what? 26 days. I made that number up. I don't know. Nobody no, it's, it's probably pretty accurate. But, <laughs> but it's like, I, you know, you just don't know, but that's what's so fun about Survivor, right? You just you just don't know. Yeah, and if your siblings go on, they'll know. Never play the oh, idol yeah. on anyone else oh, but yeah. yourself. For sure, absolutely, one hundred percent. I <laughs> I back I back that statement. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lauren, how did you get into soccer? Oh gosh, um, I really just. I, I was that girl that, like, your parents put into ASO or I don't know what other um, cities call it, but, like, very young, I'm playing soccer, my dad's coaching me, right? Mm-hmm. And I was not very good, like, really not, not good. And my poor dad was, like, putting up with me playing. And then I think it was around, like, probably 10 years old, I'm still playing, my dad's still coaching me, that I started to grow. Like, I have, I since I was in probably seventh grade, I've been 5'10". Um, and so I started to grow. I started to kind of get a little bit more coordinated. And my dad was like, hey, you actually might be okay. Because my dad played soccer um, in high school and a, a little bit in intramurals in college. And he's like, wait, you might be a little good. And so then once I started, you know, being able to actually dribble the ball without tripping over myself, uh, I went to the club. Um, and then, you know, I, I really, it sounds so silly to say it now, but I never really thought of soccer as, um, you know, a way to play collegiate sports. I never was like, okay, I want to play college soccer in the early stages. Even when I was, you know, a freshman in high school, it was just like, I love soccer. I love this game. I love the team aspect of it. I love getting to play. Um, And it wasn't until kind of later on in my high school career, which is very late for usual recruiting, that I started saying, you know, I think I'm good enough to play in college. I want to pursue this um, and let's see what happens. Yeah, wow. Now, I have to imagine at 5'10", at a young age, you probably played more up front trying to score goals, right? Because that head was probably good. You could out-jump people and get headers in. I do uh, pride myself in my ability to win an air ball. That is true. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, I played center mid for a long time. And I hated it, mm. hated it, hated it. I was so much running. I am not a fan. I got to get out of this real quick. And I remember the day that I told my cup, I was like, look, we got to figure something else out because I don't think center mid is for me. And he's like, all right, let's try center back. I was like, sounds good, whatever. And I got back there and I remember like, whoa, 
totally new perspective, can see the whole dang field. I love this position. I get to control. I get to talk. I get to communicate. I don't have to run too much unless I get beat and let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, and I remember after the game and my dad and I had a really special relationship. It's like, I always knew if I played that I played well, if he was like good game, you know, like he wasn't a huge, like, Oh my God, so great. You know, he'd just be like good game. And if I didn't play well, he'd be like, how do you feel? And I was always like, Oh, dagger to the heart. Like, Oh man, <laughs> terrible. And, um, I remember after this game, my dad was like, great game. That was awesome. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is life changing. <laughs> like, I obviously love my dad and, and appreciate his opinion very much. Um, and from then on, I just kind of played center back forever. Um, a little bit in freshman year at Baylor, I played some forward. Um, and that was really it. So I was never, never your forward. That is for sure. Okay. Well, center back really important position in this on the soccer field. Yes. Yes, it's, um, I, I think it plays to my personality really well. It's, um, like a very collaborative position, right? Depending on the formation you're playing, of course, but, um, in general, every team sport is a collaborative (laughs) position, but center back, especially because you really have to keep your line. Those three other players you're playing with, you kind of are a group, you're a unit. And if one of you kind of steps out of this unit, everything gets, everything gets out of whack and that's when bad things happen. And so I think being able to kind of collaborate with other girls that I respect and cared for and being able to communicate um, and really being able to play under pressure because it's funny in soccer as a defender, like you don't get to make mistakes. <laughs> you just don't. As a, as, a for, as a forward, you can make a million mistakes. No one's going to know. They're only going to look at the one good thing you did, which was scoring the goal. Mm-hmm. But as a defender... No one's going to see the amazing things you did. No one's really going to think at the end of the game, oh my gosh, remember that one time she slide tackled that girl and she didn't score? No one really remembers that. They remember, do you remember that time she got totally beat and they scored? So it, was, it became this kind of really fun challenge where it was like, I don't get to make a mistake. I have to be perfect all of the time. I, I, I have to trust my teammates. I have to make good decisions and I have to work well under pressure. Yeah, no, that's a great point in defense on the soccer field. If you get beat, that's you guys are the last line of defense before the goalie, obviously. <laughs> it's a big deal if you get beat where, yeah, forwards can do whatever, you know, they can have a million offsides. It doesn't matter. But if you get beat once, right, it it's matter. so noticeable. It's so noticeable, yeah. it's it's. Um, I remember being a little stressed out at times just thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what if I mess up? And I remember in high school, I um, was, I played, I started on the varsity team as a freshman, which was like life changing for me. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. But I was, I mean, I had, I was so nervous that first game. I threw up in the bathroom beforehand. And Aww. I think it's because we had these seniors on the team and it's, it's high school soccer. Like anyone who plays soccer at a high level is thinking right now as they're listening to this, it's high school soccer. It doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> they really are young. You were a freshman, but I was, yeah, I was, I mean, I was 14 years old and there were these seniors on the team that were phenomenal. I mean, one girl plays, um, professionally for the Houston dash. She is wow. one of the best players I've ever seen and played with in my life. And I remember thinking, I don't want to let them down because as a defender, as a center back, I was playing with all seniors in the back line. And it was like, what if I'm the one to mess up? And I think that led me to be so nervous and like so locked up and 
And if I could tell anybody that's playing really any sport, um, is that if you let nerve nerves take over you, you become so chained down by all of those nerves and that anxiety and you don't play your best. And I remember my dad told me before a game, he's like, you just need to touch the ball within the first three minutes, get the ball at your feet and then get into the game and let those nerves kind of wash away. And once I started doing that, it definitely helped. But um, I just, I still remember that first day, that first game as a freshman going to the bathroom being like, I have to go and like throwing up because I was so nervous. Oh man. No, but you're right. You can't play scared or nervous because that's all you're going to think about instead of thinking about ways that you can help your team and ways that you're going to, you know, dominate the game and help. So totally get that. I'm sure you weren't that way for long because you obviously play at the division one level. Yes. I think, you know, it came, it came in spurts. I was always like, you know, I would get confident and confidence comes with preparation. If, uh, I learned that phrase from my strength coach at Baylor. She said it all the time. She's like, if you want to be confident, you have to be prepared. And I had never really heard that phrase before, but it makes so much sense, right? It's like, if I study for two hours for a test, I'm going to be a lot more nervous than I am if I study for two months for a test, you know, yeah. never have I studied for two months for a test, but you know, you get the point. Yes. <laughs> you do have. Um, but you get the point. You're going to be a lot less nervous because you're going to feel a lot more prepared. Um, and I think, you know, as, let's use the high school example. As a freshman, I had never played in a game before, so I'm incredibly nervous. And then as a senior, I'm like, let's go. Come on. This is going to be so fun. Like, not <laughs> stressed at all, you know? And that came when I went to Baylor. It was like, as a freshman, I was very, very nervous. I was so scared that the coaches weren't going to like me because they, you know, they'd seen me play, right? But they had never seen me play on their field before. And then it was like, what if the girls don't like me? What if I don't play well? What if I get time in a game? Then and I mess up and I never get to play again. And it just I let all these kind of thoughts and this nervousness really overtake me for I'd say the first month of um of soccer at Baylor. And finally my coach was like, You need to take a chill pill, okay? <laughs> get out there and play. And if you mess up, what's next? And I think that that's something I coach um a bunch of young girls in my hometown right now. And I love them. I adore them. They're all kind of around the age of 13. And the amount of times I find myself saying, okay, what's next? What's next? When they kind of mess up a drill and they, they get nervous. Because I think it's such an incredible, just very short statement to kind of live by. It's like, all right, you mess up. There's literally nothing you can do to fix what just happened and go back and fix it, right? Mm-hmm. You only do the next thing better. Um, and I think that that's something that really, really helped me because it was like, all right, if I mess up, no big deal. What's the next best thing that I can do? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, mistakes are always going to happen. You just have to move forward. And on the soccer field, you're always going to make, make mistakes. It's always going to be there, but you just have to keep playing. I mean, the highest level center back, uh, Becky Soderbrom in the Olympics in 2019, I'm sorry, in the world cup in 2019 made a mistake that caused, I forget what team they were playing, but they had a penalty kick. Luckily the goalie for the U S Alyssa Nair saved it, but you know, like mistakes happen at the highest level. Absolutely. And if you let yourself keep rerunning that mistake, you're not going to be ready for the next thing that comes. Mm-hmm. And then you're probably going to make another mistake. And so I think it's really important. And I tell my girls this, that I coach all the time. It's like, if you are so overtaken by that mistake, there's no way you're going to perform. And 90 minutes is a long time. And let's say you make your first mistake in minute two, you're going to have a long road ahead of you trying to make up for 
the the issues that you're just causing in your mind. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Just mo- next play. Yes. What's next? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> now you know you mentioned high school. You attend Frontier High School four-year varsity soccer player. You also were on the track and field team and helped win a championship. You competed in the long jump <laughs> and the triple I, jump. How did you know that? I was looking, oh I, I look up stuff. I have to be prepared for these interviews. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that. Um, yes, I did. Um, I, I long jumped when I was younger um, because my mom long jumped. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll try it. And I mean, I played volleyball when I was in high school on a club team. Um, and I was okay. You know, like I was, I was tall-ish, but I was, I was super reactive, but I can't jump for anything. I mean, I have zero hops. I have negative hops, probably. <laughs> like when I jump, I probably go down into the ground. Like it's <laughs> awful. Um, and so it was funny when I started long jumping, it wasn't because I could jump and I realized long jump isn't necessarily high jump. I get that for anyone listening, but you need to be able to get off the ground because the higher up off the ground, the longer it's going to take for you to hit the ground and the farther you're going to go into the sand physics, everyone. However, um, I couldn't jump very high. So really what I had to do was I had to get, I had to get really good at running really fast and then my form had to be perfect and so my mom would spend like hours and hours with me just kind of teaching me how to do it and so I got pretty good at it and so when I was in high school the track and field coach came up to me and was like hey have you ever run like have you ever sprinted um in track and I was like you're not gonna catch me running absolutely not (laughs) and he was like come on we need someone for the four by four and I was like oh absolutely not keep walking and he was like come on it'll be great I'm like I can promise you I am never gonna run your four by four not gonna happen I think that is the hardest that and the 800 no chance right she like put on a team you know and I was like I could long jump and he's like really we need a long jumper I was like you know what I will long jump for you. So I went out there sophomore year and long jump. And then I learned how to triple jump. I had never triple jumped before. So I had to learn how to triple jump, um, which was a lot harder than I expected. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I ended up uh, running track. I think it was my sophomore year and we, we won a championship, which was pretty awesome. And I, I did well in a few meets. Nice, nice. Any interest from colleges for your long jump skills? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, a little bit at the beginning, you know, I was a sophomore and I guess we can touch on this too in soccer. I wasn't really looking at colleges to play sports. Like yeah, I just a, really cheesy. wasn't. And so, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge recruiting. Bakersfield isn't a huge recruiting town. If we're being honest, um, we just didn't have, um, I still think we really don't have a ton of exposure to a women's soccer and also track. Um, and so there was some colleges that kind of reached out, you know, nothing, nothing huge. And I really, I can only remember like maybe one or two. Um, and I was never really interested in running track in college. It was always kind of like, yeah, I'm just doing this because I think it would be fun and it's something to do. And I kind of like long jumping. I think it's great. Um, but yeah, it wasn't ever something that interested me. Okay. Well, on the soccer field, I know, you know, we'll talk about your recruiting process, but you helped Frontier win two SWYL championships in 2011 and 2013. You were yes. nominated for the CIF Scholar Athlete of the Year, three-time All-League, two-time All-Area. So just phenomenal for your career. Thank you. Thank you. It was a very, very fun time. Um, I think, you know, 
obviously winning those two championships were so, so fun, but it's because our team was so great. You know, it was, it, I, like I said, my freshman year, the seniors on our team were just phenomenal. Those girls were so good. And I remember, um, that is one of my most favorite memories because we were seated first in the, um, Valley championship. So we got to play at home and I just remember the stands were packed. I'm talking like people were standing. It, it looked like a football, like a championship football game. Like people should not be out there for women's soccer in the freezing cold because it was pouring rain, oh, pouring wow. rain. It was so cold. And I remember, um, I don't, I don't know exactly how it went down, but really that's where we were playing for golden goal. So whatever next goal wins. And, uh, so we, we won off of a golden goal. I was actually lucky enough to score that goal off of a corner kick by an incredible, like a girl that plays for the Houston dash. Now it was like the perfect corner kick. If you miss it, it's like you messed up, you know? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it was like the entire stands rushed the field. Rain is pouring down. Like everyone's screaming. We had just won the Valley championship. I mean, and the entire crowd started screaming. We are the champions. It was like so, so fun. So I think it's like moments like that that just make me fall in love with soccer and sports in general, just the community that that is around um, athletics. Yeah, and I love to hear that the stands were packed on a rainy oh night for a women's so I'm sport. Pouring rain, like pouring. It was, I was stoked. I actually, it's funny, I'm looking at a picture right now. My dad has this cute little newspaper clipping of it up, up on this wall. Um, and I mean, we are so, and we're wearing like our white jerseys and our white jerseys are covered in mud and all these people are still out there. And it was so, so fun. And I will say that is one thing about Bakersfield is Bakersfield people show up for athletics. I love that, that is what makes Bakersfield high school sports so fun. And what breaks my heart for all the kids that didn't get to play this last year, mm. because I mean, the Bakersfield community really, really supports their athletics. And I think that that that's what made going to frontier so special because I mean, frontier specifically as well, but all the high schools, they're just like so supportive of all their athletes. That's awesome. Yeah, you're right. It's a bummer for those kids, especially the kids that wanted to get recruited. You know, you, you lose a year and especially if you're a junior or senior, that's a really important year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my brother was going to be a freshman in college and play football this year and he had to miss his season. So (sighs) Um, you know, it, it breaks my heart for all of those kids that have just missed out on, on playing a year of, of athletics. And obviously that's not the most important thing that is going on in the world, but, um, it does. I think about them a lot when, when things like this come up. Yeah. It's not the most important, but it's still a big bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, for me, sports were a huge part of my life. And if that had been, you know, taken away from me, I obviously would have been very thankful for my health, but I would have been very sad mm-hmm. for sure. Now, I have to ask, when you scored that game-winning goal in the Valley <laughs> Championship, was that your freshman year? It was my freshman year, So yes. you go from first game, you're throwing up in the bathroom beforehand because you're so scared to make a mistake, to scoring the <laughs> game-winning goal at the end of the season. That's nuts. It was such a God moment. I mean, I can't stress that enough. It, it really was, first of all, we were down 1-0. to zero. So we were losing in the last five minutes, a girl comes in on our team and scores to tie it up. Right. And so had that girl not scored, we wouldn't even have been able to go to golden goal. Um, and then just like our defense, our goalie was making insane saves. Our, our forwards were just putting up the pressure. And then all of a sudden 
it's golden goal and we get a corner kick. And when I say that Cammy put up a corner kick, that was just the most perfect corner kick. I, I don't even really think I moved much. I just kind of headed the ball in <laughs> because it was so perfect. You know, it wasn't, it, it's an incredible opportunity for me, but I just think it was like, oh, there were so many other factors that led to that moment that I just feel really proud to be a part of that team. And it I know it was like forever yeah, it was just like a really fun, fun year. It was a while ago, but you could obviously still be very proud of that <laughs> moment. Doesn't matter how much time goes by. Yeah, no, for sure. It's um, it's just it's funny when I talk about high school soccer because it is, you know, in the recruiting process, it's not a huge deal. Uh, but for me, I think it really made me fall in love with the game because it was so fun, and I was that my freshman year and my sophomore year, the, the leagues on the team and the, the upperclassmen on the team really made it. So, Hey, this is, this is going to be fun and we're going to love this and we're going to win while we do it. Love it. Now talk a bit about your recruiting process. Once you realized, Oh, Hey, I'm good enough to play in college. Talk about that. And what led you to choose Baylor? So my recruiting process was, I would say, very different from any other individual that ends up playing at a D1 school. Um, And that, I think, like I said earlier, comes from the fact that I don't know that Bakersfield just has enough exposure to opportunity. They just don't have enough exposure. The, The teams in Bakersfield don't have enough exposure for college coaches to come see them. Um, and so when I was playing and it's changed a lot now, but there was a, a, uh, league called ECNL that was the top league. And that's where all the top D one schools and really just any D one school, uh, where they recruited their girls from. And I was playing in Bakersfield on a team with girls that I absolutely adored. Um, I guess my freshman year, my freshman year, I was playing on a team with those girls. And then I was recruited by another Bakersfield team that was, playing at a little bit of a higher level. They weren't playing at the ECNL level, but they were playing what we called Coast League. And Coast League had like gold, silver, silver lead or whatever. I don't necessarily remember, but they were a little higher than them. And, and I thought a lot about it. And I was like, okay, I think that I've done everything I can do with the team I'm on. I'm going to move on to this next team and kind of learn from this coach, learn from these girls. And I ended up playing with them my sophomore and junior year. And we went to a few different uh, showcase it when you know coaches come and watch you mm-hmm. and I remember you know I loved those girls I adored those girls I think they are so talented phenomenal um, and it was my junior year I think like the start of my junior year that I was kind of scouted by this coach because we were playing at his team's kind of home practice field so there were a lot of tournaments that played at these big fields and one of the teams called the SoCal Blues Uh, They own this huge kind of field complex that a lot of tournaments are played at. And he was there and he just happened to watch our game. And afterward, he came up to me and my dad and was like, hey, you know, where are you from? Just asking us questions. And um, I actually had to go in the middle of the conversation because I had to go um, cool down with my team. And and he ended up telling my dad that he would love for me to come and try out for the team to kind of see how I mix with the girls. And at that time, the SoCal Blues, this coach and that team were ranked number two in the entire nation. Wow. Yeah, they were, I mean, incredible. And I, they were located in San Juan Capistrano, which is a four-hour drive with no traffic from Bakersfield to San Juan Capistrano. It was a four-hour drive with no traffic. Um, and that's having to go through L.A. And so 
my dad was like, well, we should just go down there, you know, for one day to just kind of see. And I was like, okay, yeah, uh, you know, these girls are so good. I mean, I just didn't think there was any way I could play with them. I was so nervous. Um, and I get down there and it was like this, uh, I'm going to say it again. It was a God thing. It was like, I felt so comfortable with these girls. They were amazing. They were the best soccer players I've ever played with to this point. They were so good and they were so, um, they, I just vibed really well with them. And I love the coach. His name's Larry Dralick and he's, he's phenomenal. And after the practice, he's like, we'd love for you to be a part of the team. You know, we'd, we'd love for you to be on the team. And I was like, what, 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 what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, I mean, you know, just, just let me know if you, if you want to come down here. And I was like, I, oh, okay. I'm going to go talk to my dad. <laughs> like I, I was like, so I, I was so confused. Um, and so I get in the car with my dad and we're, we're driving the four hours home and we're talking about it, all the pros and the cons. And, and I was like, I would be so sad to leave my team in Bakersfield now. And, but this is such an incredible opportunity. And I only have, and at this point it was like, you know, I think I can play in college and I wanted to really badly. And, um, I was like, I think this is really my last chance because I'm a junior. I, you know, most people that are playing D1 at this point are already committed and they've been committed for a year, you know? And, um, we talked about it, we talked about it. And all of a sudden we just kind of came to the conclusion that it was God opening a door for me that I couldn't pass up. And I decided to go down and play with him and actually earned a starting position very quickly, which was crazy to me. Um, and, uh, so that was my junior year. So I'm playing with them my junior year and, um, going into the summer, I went to a bunch of college camps, you know, which was really difficult to go to. I think college camps and ID camps are just a difficult environment in general. Um, but it definitely helped to have the SoCal Blues name behind me because these coaches kind of knew I was coming. And I ended up going to the Baylor soccer camp during that summer because I loved Baylor, was very interested in going there um, just academically. And I met the coaches, met the girls, absolutely fell in love with it, thought it was the coolest school ever. Um, but I sprained my ankle really, really badly on this second day I was there. So I'd only really played one big game, sprained my ankle really badly. And there was only one day left at the camp. So I really didn't play that much. Um, and then I get back home and I don't really hear anything from them. And I think it's kind of important to say that I expected at this point, I only had a few offers from smaller schools, um, all in California. And, um, I did have an, a few offers out of state as well. Um, but not, no school that I felt like I would want to go here if I wasn't playing soccer. And I think for me, I was, um, I was a very good student. Um, I was ranked first in my class. And so I felt like, you know, I want to go to a school that I want to be at, whether I'm playing soccer because you're going to get hurt sometimes, you know, is this a school that I want to be at all the time? And so I applied to a ton of schools, Baylor being one of them. I turn in all my applications, <laughs> all of them. Like I'm talking, I applied to probably, I think, 15 schools. Wow. Turn all my applications. Two days after turning all my applications, I get a call from Marcy, the head coach at Baylor, and she offers me a scholarship to go there. <laughs> um, and she's like, we would love, you know, she offers me a spot on the team. And I'm like, I, yes. And she's like, do you want to think it over? Nope, I'm in. Like, I mean, this 
second she called me because I remember just, I, I had applied to the school because I loved the school. And then I had seen the coaches. I had seen the players. I loved the environment. And I'll say it again. It's like God opened a door and he pushed me through it. And I was like, this is it. I want to be a Baylor. And that was it for me. I was done. And I remember the rest of my senior year, I was playing still. And there were still coaches kind of coming to my coach and offering me. And, and they were bigger schools this time. But I, I never even thought twice about it. I was like, Baylor's where I want to be. And I'm so glad that that's the, the decision I made. And I'm so glad that that's kind of what happened. Couldn't they have contacted you like a week earlier before you right? got all your I know. applications in? All my rude. applications done? I know. I know. It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> um, it was funny. The week before um, was kind of a big showcase and one of the coaches came to watch. And so I assume that's kind of what led to um, the call. But mm. it would have been nice for that showcase to be a little earlier. <laughs> now, Baylor is in Waco, Texas, obviously a ways away from California. How was it going so far away from home for school? Yeah, I think um, one thing that I've always done in my life is I, I just kind of jump into things. Like when I was a seventh grader or when I was in seventh and eighth grade, I was in a class of 23 students, all of which were kind of going to the same high school. I was like, no, no thanks. I'm going to go to Frontier where I don't know anybody. And there are four times the amount of students at this high school. You know, I just, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, it's great. It's going to be awesome. And then when I applied to Baylor, I was, or when I got into Baylor, I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go do that. And it was helpful that I had been going to Austin for all of my life in the summer to see my grandparents and my dad had grown up in Houston. And so we were familiar with Texas. Um, but it's funny. I never really thought twice about it. I was like, all right, let's go. This is what we're doing. <laughs> nice. And, and I'm so glad I did. I mean, Waco is such an incredible little town now. And, um, you know, I drive hour and a half to go see my grandparents, you know, every, every month or so. And it was, it was awesome. Oh, that's nice that you got to see them a lot. Yeah, I'm super close with them. Now, you get to Baylor in the summer of 2014. You mentioned kind of being nervous that first month or so. How was the transition from high school soccer to now Power 5 Conference Division One soccer? Oh, my God. I can't even begin to explain it. I had no idea what was coming. I tell all of my girls that I coach, I can tell you a million times that it's going to be hard. And you're still not going to be able to comprehend it until you're in it. And it's true. I just, the speed at which they play, the, the tenacity that they played with. And the thing is, I'm, you know, at this point, 18 years old and I'm playing girls that could be 22. And, and that age difference is, it's a big deal. I think, you know, they're they're just, they're stronger, they're more mature, they're, they're used to the speed of play. Um, And the thing about Baylor is they demanded everything from you. It, being a collegiate athlete in general is a job. Um, and I know people kind of say that like, oh, it's a job. No, it's, it's a job. You are spending by, you know, this is what my day would look like. I would wake up um, and I would probably, let's say it's a two a day, right? So I'd wake up at probably 5.30. I'd go practice from 6 to 8, um, probably 8.15 because I remember sprinting to many classes that started at 8.30. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm children's sweat I'm sitting in my classes from let's say eight to two probably two o'clock I am grabbing some food and I'm heading over to the locker room to get some treatment on whatever it was that I had hurt that day because I'm sure I had something um and I'm getting treatment for about an hour and I'm getting ready for practice we have a team meeting and then we practice from three to six thirty and we probably lift from six thirty to seven or six thirty to seven thirty and then I go home and 
I do whatever homework I can do and I eat and I go to sleep. And that's really what my days look like. Um, and you know, on the weekends, you don't really get to do much because Saturdays you have practice and Sundays you have games. And for me, that wasn't necessarily a problem. Like having this really structured routine where it's like, Oh, I couldn't really go hang out with other people or party like other people would because that was never my lifestyle before college. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I think it's important to note for people. It's like, you're not going to have a regular college experience. Um, or that wasn't my experience at Baylor for sure. It was very much a, you know, 50 to 60 hour a week job. Yeah, you're totally right. A lot of the social socialization that goes on at college, Division One athletes really don't partake in much because they don't have the time. It really is a full-time job to be an athlete there. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even so, let's say you're just, let's say you are actively putting in 60 hours a week, and that's probably on the higher side, but then you have to take into account your recovery and you have to take into account your preparation. And let's add another 10 hours, 15 hours on that because it's like, you don't get to go out to a bar, even if you're not going to drink, right? You don't get to go out to a bar at 12 a.m. on a Saturday night when you have a game the next day. Oh, no, or not at all. You don't get to go out on a Wednesday because you have practice the next day. Like, that's just not how it works. And you, if you want to be a college athlete, you have to know that those are the sacrifices you make to be great. A hundred percent. You're also a great student at Baylor. You make the Big 12 academic all-rookie team, and you're a consistent member of the Big 12 honor roll throughout your four years. So getting it done on the field and in the classroom, because the school takes up a lot of your time as well. It does, yes. Um, I will say being a student athlete, the student part definitely felt like sometimes it was on the back burner for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I'm not sure why. I think it was just because soccer demanded so much physically, mentally, emotionally. And I'm so thankful that Baylor provided the resources that they did. I mean, I will say we were so spoiled in regards to academics. We always got first choice to our classes. I had a tutor in any class that I needed at any time that worked around my schedule. Um, Teachers at Baylor, I mean, I can't even speak highly enough about the professors at Baylor that were just so kind. And it's not because I was an athlete. That's just in general, the professors there were so understanding. Um, But I do think that I I know sometimes people can say, oh, well, athletes get, you know, tutors and they get this and that. And it's like, I I really can't imagine (laughs) having to go to soccer and then not having, you know, a little bit of help academically because I really don't know that I would have would have graduated. Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, everyone has access to a tutor in college. It's just, I guess, sometimes it'd be easier for an athlete to get one. But still, right. you're right. You guys, there's, you guys don't have any time. You need those tutors. Yeah, it is. It's super. It was just super nice. Just, just the support we were given. And I think that that is not necessarily talked about enough. Just how thankful I was to have, you know. I knew for a fact that there were at least 30 people I could call at any time of the day if I was in trouble that would be there in a heartbeat. And that's, you know, that's including my team, but that's also including coaches, trainers, nutritionists, um, you know, physical therapists. I tore my ACL my freshman year and then I tore my meniscus my sophomore year and then I had compartment syndrome. Like I was in rehab a lot and (laughs) 
having a physical therapist on on site was life changing. I mean, I now don't feel my knee at all. And I've had three surgeries on my left knee. And I think that that's something that, you know, probably wouldn't have happened if I wasn't playing at Baylor, but also maybe it would have. And I wouldn't have had the resources that that I had because I was an athlete. So I, I just think that like, we do, we do get some reparation for our, uh, for our work in the resources they provide. And, and I haven't even touched on, you know, food and nutrition and all of those things, but, um, it is, it is an, an incredible experience and I recommend it to absolutely anyone that's interested in it. But I also think that you can't go into it blindly mm-hmm. thinking, Oh, and I was, and I say this because I was very blind. I was like, <laughs> this is going to be so fun. I'm so excited for some soccer, you know? And then I get there and I'm like, Oh my God, every day I feel like I got run over by a truck <laughs> like every single day. And I just think you kind of have to weigh out the pros and cons of that. Is it, is it worth it to you? Are you willing to get up every single day and commit your body, commit your mind, commit your emotional energy to being the best you possibly can? Because I haven't even touched on, if you don't do that, you're not going to play. You know, it's like, that's all of this doesn't even take into account having to fight for your spot. Oh yeah. You have to be committed. You have to be, you know, on a hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every day. There's no off days. (laughs) No, not at all. Let's talk about those knee injuries that you just mentioned, because you mentioned you tear your ACL freshman year. You do get to play in four games and you scored a goal that September, which I'm sure you remember. First collegiate goal. (laughs) I think my only collegiate goal. Um, Yeah, I would say that um, my college career was much different than I originally expected and probably much different than a lot of athletes' experiences were. Um, and that's because I was injured, I would say, 85% of my career. Wow. Uh, so freshman season, I am in excruciating pain pretty much the whole season. And I don't really know why. Um, I Every time you know I run for long periods of time, my legs go numb, but they're also on fire. I feel like they're going to explode. And it's funny because, you know, it only acts up when we're doing really hard running. You know, that's annoying. And it's like, well, I look like I'm trying to get out of it. And I, I, I couldn't put a name to it. No one could diagnose me. They didn't know what was up. Um, finally, I went and saw a specialist after the season was over. So I played the entire season like this. Um, after the season was over, I went and saw a specialist who said I had compartment syndrome. Um, exertional compartment syndrome. I don't know if you know what that is or if people do because it's kind of an odd term. And really, you probably only see it on Grey's Anatomy after someone's, you know, been in an accident and their leg looks like it's going to blow up. But pretty much what happens is you have fascia that is this kind of, let's say, you know, a hard shell that covers your muscles. And most people have enough space between their fascia and their muscle for their muscles to expand. And they work out because obviously when you're working out, your muscles expand. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not have enough muscle or enough space in my calves. Um, and so what was happening is my muscles were expand- expanding and they had nowhere to go. And that pressure was building up so much that had I kept going at that rate, um, this sounds super dramatic and I don't mean it to, but it's really the words that the doctor used. <laughs> he said your legs could have exploded. Oh um, and that's really... That's, that's really what happens in compartment syndrome. And it sounds extremely dramatic. And I remember telling someone that and they kind of rolled their eyes at me. And I was like, I know it sounds so silly, but it's true. It's your, your muscles are expanding and expanding and they don't have anywhere to go and they explode. 
Um, and so I had, anyway, long story short, I have surgery for compartment syndrome end of my seat, my freshman year. Um, and it's a pretty quick, I'd say recovery. Um, it, a quick surgery, very fast. And recovery was probably eight to 10 weeks, which was fine because I was actually, you know, going to be home for that time. It was Christmas time. Anyway, I'm recovering when I get back, seeing my incredible rehab, um, therapist and I get cleared from that pretty easily. And I remember the very first day that I stepped onto the field, having been cleared, feeling great. And the thing about my rehab therapist is he wasn't going to clear you unless you were almost to the point of where you were when you were hurt. So it's not just that, Oh, you can move now. It's a, you are looking great. You can run, you're in shape. Let's do this. So he cleared me uh, first day I stepped onto the field. Um, I actually tear my ACL. Oh my God. And, um, I kind of knew it the second it happened. It didn't, I wasn't, you know, screaming in agony. I just kind of fell. Um, I was playing a one-on-one with my roommate actually. And we were inside because it had been pouring rain all day and we never played inside and inside has turf. And I went to cut and tore my ACL. Um, and that was kind of, you know, the kickoff for, many injuries during my career, but, um, you know, I, I had surgery in March of that year and ended up red shirting my sophomore year. Um, because obviously I was recovering and then I get back and spring kind of going into my junior year. Um, that's kind of what you call it, but technically I'm still a sophomore that spring. Mm-hmm. I end up tearing my meniscus, um, after I had been cleared from my ACL surgery Um, And so I'm kind of recovering from my meniscus and, you know, I I finally get cleared for that junior year and I'm feeling good. And what was awesome is I had actually kind of won this starting position kind of, you know, in the beginning of preseason of junior year. Um, And I was really excited about that. And then I just, my knee was hurting so badly and we didn't really know why. Like no one could tell me there wasn't like one huge thing that happened. And when I went in and they were like, you know, you have a ton of scar tissue that's really messing up your movement. And I could tell, you know, I wasn't quite as quick as I had been. And that was frustrating. And so I ended up having um, just kind of a scope to clear out all the things in my knee. Um, And then I got to play all of my senior year. Um, I didn't really get to play a ton of time just because I hadn't been playing in three years. And that's just, you know, I worked as hard as I possibly could to try and win a spot on the team. Um, and I think that for me, my role on the team changed a ton after I got injured. It became, instead of, you know, this contributing member on the field, I became this kind of like selfless teammate on the sidelines that was really cheering for the girls that were playing my position now. Um, and, you know, you have it was humbling for sure. And I, I think I learned a ton from it. Um, probably more than I would have had I actually played, um, learning just how to be a great teammate and learning how to be extremely happy for the people that are succeeding in front of you. Um, and you know, obviously I would have loved to, to be a starter on the team and, and play a ton, but that wasn't what my story was. My story was more of, someone who was supporting people and and being their biggest cheerleader on the sidelines. And, um, you know, I got to watch my best, best friend in the whole world still adore her, um, play every single game and 
and be um, this incredible presence on the field. And I realized that I found a ton of joy in that um, because I was so excited for her. And, you know, I think that it gives me, I did get to play my freshman year and that was awesome. Um, but it gives me kind of this, this different perspective that I can give to other people where it's like, Hey, I get what it's like to be a starter. I get what it's like to play a ton and I get what it's like to not play a ton. And you have to realize that a lot of times your role on a team isn't always going to be the same and you have to be able to adapt to it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, first off, thank you for that detailed breakdown of everything you went through at Baylor. Sorry. No, 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 no. I I really appreciate that. And unfortunately in sports injuries happen, right? And unfortunately you just had injury after injury and it's going to be hard to get your spot back senior year. And a lot of people probably in your position might've transferred out and be like, Hey, if I'm not playing, I'm not going to even like be here. So first off, I mean, good for you for doing that and learning how to be a good teammate because a good team always needs those teammates that don't play as much to be supportive of the ones that do. Otherwise, it's the team's just not going to work. There's going to be no team chemistry. So what you're yeah. doing was really important and contributing to a great senior season that Baylor had. We did. We did. It was, I mean, it was incredible. I, and what's funny is, you know, when I tell people, yeah, I played at Baylor and, you know, we won the Big 12 and we went to the Elite Eight, nobody asks me, how many minutes did you play? You know, no, that's not the question that they ask. And, and um, you know, I got, I got to play with my team. And I think that that's what's so important. And our, our team was so phenomenal my senior year. And it was so incredible to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. it doesn't matter how many minutes you played. You're still part of that Big 12 championship. You're still part of that team that went to the Elite Eight. But you're right. It was really a dream season for you guys because that year in 2017, that was the first year that your team made the NCAA tournament when you were there in your four-year career. Yes, it was. Um, I mean, we just really clicked. We really clicked that season. And I just, you know, I say that I got to play with my team. And and the thing is I'm with, maybe I didn't play 90 minutes every game, but I was at every single practice, every single lift. I was doing everything that everyone else was. And, and you just saw it from the very beginning. You were like, Oh man, hold up. Like, I think we're going to be good. But the thing about us that year was not that we were the most skilled because we weren't at all, but we wanted it the most. I mean, we were willing to die for the girl next to us. And I think that's what makes Baylor special in general. And, you know, I haven't been around their, their team in a while, but I can guarantee you that it's still like that because that's the culture that they've built there. That the girl standing next to you on the field will die for you. They will, they will back you up if you make a mistake. They will jump in front of a ball to guard you from it. And I think that that's what made us so special is we were willing to put our bodies and our minds on the line for the girl next to us every single minute of every single day, and especially during the 90 minutes that we were on the field. That's an incredible team to be a part of. It was. It was. It was a phenomenal experience. You got a game away from the Final Four, making it to the Elite Eight. You beat some really good teams along the way. You beat Rice, (laughs) USC, Notre Dame. Oh, Oh, the Notre Dame game. Oh, that was a good one. That was an overtime game. It was an overtime game. And what's funny is two of the girls that I played on my club team with, the SoCal Blues, um, they're twins. They actually played on that team during that time as well. So So you have bragging um, rights. I do have a little bit of bragging rights. Um, But they're, I mean, they are so talented. Notre Dame is an incredible team. Um, But it was so fun. That game, 
Oh, I have that game on replay in my mind all the time. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah, you get a game away. You fall to Duke in the Elite Eight. That, that has to be tough, right? Getting so close to the Final Four, but coming up short. But still a great season. Obviously, you're very proud of it, as you should be. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm very proud of all the work that the girls put in because, you know, people see the 90 minutes that you play and they don't see the 60 hours that you're putting in before that happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where Baylor thrives. For sure. And, you know, two things that you touched on. One was when you're talking about being a coach and you have that ability to talk to your kids about, hey, you know, I played a lot of minutes this time. I was injured this at this point. I didn't play at all and had to support my team. You have so many like aspects of your career that you can like go forward with coaching and like kids can relate to you about everything you've gone through. Yeah, I think that that is something special that I provide um, because I do have so many different perspectives. I understand what it's like to be the superstar of a team and, and, and thrive in your position and feel like you're on top of the world. And I understand what it feels like to be crushed that your dream has been taken from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand what it's like to have to adapt to your new role and stand on the sidelines and hand a water bottle and an ice towel to the girl coming off that was playing your position. Um, I get it. And I think that it's really important that girls, understand that you know there's a very small percentage of people that their career is going to be all butterflies and rainbows there's going to be a lot of adversity that they're going to have to come and I think you know if I'm building a team I'm building a hundred percent of my girls better check resilience as their number one trait (laughs) I'd rather have a team of resilient fighters than a team of bunnies and you know, skilled players. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm skilled too, but I'd rather have a team with fight. Yeah, no, that's so important. You're going to be a better coach for knowing how to relate to your best player and also how to relate to the player that's not getting any playing time. So if you continue coaching, I think you're going to do a great job out of it. at it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Right now, I just, you know, I do it because I really love the girls. Um, and it's just like, you know, a couple, I do, I do private lessons. And so it's just like a bunch of 13 year old girls, probably like 20 to 30 girls that I coach weekly that I just absolutely adore. And I think they're in a really malleable age where I can provide some insight into kind of what's coming. Um, and I can be somewhat of a role model or, or a confidant to them so that they can say, Hey, what's this about? Or what do I do here? Or I'm struggling with this and I can be someone they can turn to that's kind of been where they want to go. I love that. Another thing you mentioned when you're talking about the recruiting process and you're saying like you have to pick a school where if you're not going to play soccer, you have to be happy. (laughs) Ironically, you didn't really play that much soccer. Obviously, you're on the team for four years, but I'm sure what you were going through was rough, but it would have been even rougher at a school that you only picked because of the soccer team. Absolutely. I mean, I was definitely foreshadowing with that comment there. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's what I was thinking. You know, the thing is, I got into every school I applied to. I could have gone anywhere. Um, and I decided I wanted to play soccer at a school that I wanted to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I'm so glad because I was involved in a ton. I was in a sorority. I was in FCA. I was in, you know, um, American Medical school association. I don't even think that's the right name of it. I should know the name of it. But, and I volunteered at a free medical clinic and I, and I volunteered at the hospital and I was, I went to football games and I went to volleyball games and, 
and I played intramurals and I loved every minute of it. And I had a life outside of soccer and I'm so glad that I did because if my whole entire life had been soccer, my whole life would have come crumbling down very quickly. Um, and you know, I was playing, I was devoting probably more time to soccer after I was hurt because I had to not only be at every practice and every game and every lift, but I also had to then schedule my rehab around that time. And usually my rehab was three hours long. So I had very, very limited amount of time, (laughs) but I was able to kind of fill the time that I had with things that really made me happy and made me so appreciative of the school that I was at. Yeah, that's amazing. You, you were able to get that full college experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was, I was incredibly lucky. Um, but if I'm telling anyone anything, you know, be prepared to be at the school that you're at, even if you don't get to play the sport that you want to play, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if, advice. if you, if you get injured, you know, what happens then? What if your coach leaves? What if that the happens. thing that, that, what if the one thing that you have is taken away? Are you still going to want to be where you are? Mm-hmm. No, that's great advice. Solid advice for recruiting. Now you graduate in the spring of 2018. You technically have at least one year of eligibility left, probably two. Yeah. Did you decide not to take it just because your knee was sort of done at that point? Yeah, I actually did have two years of eligibility left. Um, I think I might have. Yeah, I had two. Um, and yeah, I decided I talked to the coaches and they offered me that, that fifth year, they're like, come back, you know, we'd love to have you. And I was like, I think I'm done. (laughs) You know, I've, I've done what I need to do. My body is done. Um, I'm so thankful for the opportunity. Um, and I think I'm going to walk away. Mm -hmm. And that was really, it wasn't really, um, you know, a difficult decision for me. Obviously, I, I love the team, but I was done. I was ready to be done, and, and I was ready to kind of move on from that chapter of my life. Yeah, so let's move to that next chapter. <laughs> How long after you graduate do you go out and play Survivor? Two weeks. No way. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, so Jesus. I um, applied in March of 2018. I get a call, or I get an email the next day. I then get a call the day after that. I'm then flying out to LA the week after that uh, for inter- for auditions, interviews, or whatever. Wow. Um, then I don't hear back. I don't hear back from a month. So now for a month. So now we're kind of middle of April. I'm graduating on May 13th. Um, I get a call middle of April, and the casting director that kind of casted me said, "Hey, you did it!" And I was like are you joking? And I was driving to my grandma's house at this point. So I had to like pull over to the side of the road because I was like screaming. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be on survivor. What? And I just remember thinking, okay. And she's like, all right. Yeah. Be ready. Uh, May 20th. I was like this May 20th. (laughs) She's like, yep. See you in LA. I was like, Oh my God. And so I mean, from April to May was a very, very chaotic time. Oh my from, God. You know, graduating, moving out of my um, house, moving back to California, getting all of the stuff ready for Survivor. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was so fun, though. So, yeah, I, I walk the stage and then I get on a plane to Fiji. Wow. 
incredible time period for you. And I know you grew up watching Survivor because I read in an interview that you would name your Barbie dolls after famous players that were playing at I, that time. I sure would. Yep. I had a lot of tribal councils with Tina and Colby. Um, and, and obviously Colby won because look at Colby. Uh, loved Very him good looking man. He was my he was my Ken doll. Loved him. Uh, still love him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it was always a family show for us. I mean, it was on Thurs. It was on on Thursdays. That's how you know true true fans watched the show when they were younger because the show used to be on on Thursdays. You're now right. it's on Wednesdays. The show's on Thursdays, and so we'd watch it Thursday night. Um, and I always remember the finale because you know how they used to do that. I think they still do it actually. <laughs> the two part where they show the episode finale, and then the reunion show is like an hour long after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was never allowed to stay up so late to watch the reunion show, and so we would record it, and I would go to school on Friday, and I would get home, and I would watch the reunion show right away because I just like I always, always, always loved the show and loved the dynamic of it and I told my parents I was like yeah I'm gonna go on it and they really laughed at me I would say 99% of the time that I said that because I'm the kind of person that really really loves pillows and showers and getting my nails done and they were like yeah yeah whatever and so I sent him an audition video just kind of like on a whim I was like "Ah, I'm gonna do it you know whatever and for something to come of it was so miraculous really because you don't expect that and I really I did not expect to ever hear back from them um and it was a whirlwind of an experience yeah i mean a lot of people will apply for years and years and never make it on you applied once and got on that's amazing (laughs) i know we were sitting on the beach the very first night of like um our tribe was all sitting on the beach together the first night and they were like let's how how many times has everybody applied and i'm like oh god don't ask me and someone goes um, three times, um, you know, five times I've applied like three or four times. I've applied 18 times and I was net, I was next. And I was like, I applied in March. (laughs) They were all like, they were like, Oh my God, shut up. I was like, Oh God, I'm sorry. I just got so lucky. Like truly, truly. I've said this a billion times, but I think it's really the story of my life is it's a God thing where all of a sudden the casting director is looking for a young college girl that's kind of athletic that loves the show and she happens to be looking at videos the day I submit mine. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I just got lucky. I have no clue. I get asked a lot, you know, what are your audition video tips? Guys, I have no clue. You've got to stop asking me. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know why they picked me. I just feel really lucky. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, sometimes it is just the, the character type they're looking for. Yeah, they were probably looking for a young woman, athletic, a fan or a, a fan of the show, and you were yeah. in. Yeah, I mean, I know for a fact that they were looking for someone to play off of Kelly Wentworth, um, and they just kind of hadn't found her yet. And oh. it just so happened that I was lucky enough to kind of fill that spot. Wow, that's interesting, though. The, I like, because how, how would they know who's going to, like, play offer, you know? You obviously did, and it worked out well, but I guess you never know. Yeah, you I hated mean, her. For sure. But I think that that's what they kind of were looking for. They were looking for someone to either be, you know, and because they asked me that in my interview, and I had obviously had no clue that she was going to be on the show. You know, I just, they had been asking me about it, a lot of players, and they said, what do you think of Kelly, Kelly Wentworth? Or, no, 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 they asked me who my favorite female player was. And I was like, obviously Parvati because, you know, she's an OG and I love Kelly Wentworth because I just think she's a badass. Um, if you read any interview I ever do, I always gush about Kelly because um, I think she's just the most phenomenal human. But um, that was 
I hadn't met her yet. And I was like, I think she's just such a badass. She's so cool. And he's like, do you think if you guys played together, you guys would be friends or enemies? And I was like, I don't know. Let me play and let's see. Oh, I, really I like did, it. You know, I really didn't know. I had no clue. I was like, maybe she's going to hate me, you know, but that obviously wasn't the case. We're, we're besties. But um, I think they were just looking for someone that kind of would be either a, you know, antagonist to Kelly or would end up being a good alliance. Okay. Very cool. You know, the season you end up on is season 38. It's called The Edge of Extinction, where they brought back four returning players, Kelly included. And the twist was that The Edge of Extinction, players were voted off, but they weren't out of the game. The island, The Edge of Extinction, was where they waited for a shot to get back in the game. Ironically, you never got to Edge of Extinction because it finished. (laughs) Thank God. I am not even going to lie to you. The second I heard about Edge of Extinction... Obviously, I was angry because I'm like, we voted you guys off. Get out of here. But then I was like, hold on. You are telling me that if I get voted out, I don't get to go eat a pizza. I have to go suffer some more. (laughs) Like, dear God, nobody vote me out, please. Like, it just sounded horrible. And I was like, I'm not going to win in whatever playback challenge it is. Like, I'm not going to beat Joe. I'm not going to beat Chris. Like, I knew that. So it was like, but you can't say no. You're like, you can't be like, ah, oh, no, I'm out. I'm going to go eat some pizza. Like, you had to go to the edge. Because trust me, I thought about it. I was like, can I say no? No, I can't say no. Like, I had to go. And so I am so thankful that I missed that train. Yeah. Oh, man. It, it, it would. I mean, it's great that you have a chance to get back in the game. But oh, the suffering that you go through to, to get to that point is tough. Yeah, it just was like, it just kind of felt like, you know, the odds of me winning a challenge Versus the people that were already on the edge seemed super slim. So I was like, if I get if I get voted out, I'm gonna be kind of just waiting around doing absolutely nothing. Emphasis on doing absolutely nothing um, <laughs> until I have to lose some challenge. You know, like that seems like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, it obviously worked out for certain people. Edge of Extinction was so awesome to watch though because Reem would fight. It was just like. With like a dysfunctional family for a while where everyone on the edge was just fighting with people and Reem Daly was the queen and I want her to be back on the show at some point. Oh, I stan Reem Daly. I don't think we got to see enough of her. I think she's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think that it was super interesting for me to watch it too because I obviously hadn't seen any of it. Um, and I totally, the thing is, I'm super biased, right? So I'm like, oh my gosh, Edge stinks because Chris came back and won and I wish I would have won. You know, that's that's biased. Mm-hmm. However, I think as a viewer, it's super fun to watch. Like what? My like when we got to watch Winners of War, it's like my favorite players are still in it. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Like, let's go. I wanna see Parvati get back in. I wanna see Tyson get back in. You know, and so I get it. I understand why there is this um this draw to this idea that they aren't completely voted out however do i think they should get an idol on day 35 not necessarily (laughs) but i get it and i do think it made our season super fun and super special Mm -hmm. you were i feel like a fan favorite your season so you find a hidden immunity idol relatively early on and that's like pretty unique for a woman to find an idol you see all these men finding it all the time so i love when women find it you form yeah. an alliance with Kelly, as you said, lover or hater. You were on the love side. Was. It was, and it was clear you two have a bond out there. You're still friends today, I know. Let me ask you this. If things had played out in the perfect way for you, you make it to the final three. Is Kelly with you or do you have to cut her at some point? 
Oh, if I'm going to, I have said this a ton of times. I knew I lose if I sit next to Kelly. So I was thinking before she was voted out, I remember having a confessional um, with Clark and I'm walking through all these different strategies that will take Kelly out that I don't necessarily have to be a part of because I was like, I don't think I can physically write her name down. Mm -hmm. I don't think I can do it. But I think if I do X, Y, and Z, this person will target Kelly and I can just kind of let it happen, you know? (laughs) And, but I, I wasn't super committed to it. Right. But I, but I had talked about it. I mean, Gavin and I had talked about how obviously we wanted to, wanted to work with Kelly, but we sit at the end with Kelly and we lose. It's just, it is what it is. And I love her and I adore her. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that Kelly's like, I'll sit at the end with anyone because I can beat anyone. It's like, hell yeah, you can, but I'm not going to beat you. And I'm not an idiot. You know, like I don't want to sit next to you. Um, but I don't know. I think, you know, things play out differently. And obviously, um, I think I'd rather have her on the jury just because I know she'd vote for me. Oh, a hundred percent. I feel like even if you voted her out, she would vote for you. Yeah, Kelly's not a bitter person at all. So she, she, I might have gotten her vote. It would have depended on how it happened. I don't think, but I mean, maybe I'm naive. I get it. There are probably people listening here that are like, are you kidding me? She would have voted you out in a heartbeat. But like the relationship Kelly and I had, like I trusted her 100%, truly trusted her 100%. Like I knew whatever she was telling me was the truth. And I get that that's naive. And I understand that she would have cut me at the end if she needed to. But I also think, and I think a level of that plays into the fact that I knew that she knew she could beat me, so she didn't need to vote me out. Um, And that was kind of my strategy throughout the game is surround myself with people that thought they could beat me Mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't have to vote me out at the beginning, you know, and then it kind of evolved from there. Um, But yeah, I trusted her 100%. So I I really don't, I think I would have ended up having to sit next to her because I just couldn't have voted her out. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that would be, I mean, I would have been happy with you winning or Kelly winning. So I feel like that's my dream scenario. I understand that (laughs) I'm not, you know, the money isn't going to me. So I understand why that might not be your scenario. (laughs) No, I get it though. I get it. I mean, being in the final three with her would have been incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would have just, I would have just had to come up with a better case than her. I love the tribal council where there were two tribes at one tribal and the the balls for you and Kelly to not play your idols was just crazy. I loved it. I will say that was a very stressful tribal for me because I was worried about David. Um, Mm. And I knew, I knew they were going to target me. I don't know how I knew it, but I knew it. I sat down at camp and I said, they're coming after me. And they were like, you think? I was like, guys, I just feel it in my heart. They're coming after me. And everyone's around the, around the circle. It's just the four of us. And they're like, okay, here's the deal. Should we go spend our time looking for the idol? Like if anyone has it, just play it tonight. And I was like, yeah, you guys, like just play it. It's not a big deal. Like just play the idol knowing full well, I am in complete control of this idol that I found on Manu and let, and I knew Kelly hadn't found hers yet. Um, and I'm like, yeah, guys, just play it. Wait, had Kelly found hers or did she find it the next day? To tell you the truth, I don't remember the timeline on that. I don't think she had one that night. I think she found it the next day. It might have played out differently on TV, but I don't think she had one that night. Oh, okay. Uh, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Ti- the timeline is a little is a little fuzzy to me. But um, I I remember sitting at tribal and thinking, I'm safe if I just play this stupid idol. Like I'm so safe. I get to move to the next day. And I played with that that storyline in my head so many times at so many tribals, thinking if you just play your idol, you're going to be safe. Like 
just play your idol and be safe. There's nothing to worry about. And then it was like, okay, but what if I play it wrong? Which, you know, ended up happening eventually anyway. But um, at that tribal, I, I really had to trust that David and, and War Dog and Kelly were going to be on my side. Yeah, I mean, you obviously had trust in them and it paid off because you did not go home that night. But that was stressful. It was very stressful. It was very stressful in the moment, too, not going to lie. <laughs> I, I can imagine. And then before we get into how you misplayed the idol, my favorite scene of you out there was after the merge. And I know this embarrassed you in the moment, but I thought it showed how much of a badass you were. In an individual immunity challenge, you literally passed out and took a hard fall. The medics had to come. It was pretty scary stuff. But when you woke up, and we're told what happened, your response was just like, damn it, you were pissed that you got, you know, you were out of the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I am not very good at puzzles, is how I'm going to start out this story by, because I suck at puzzles, and every immunity challenge that had puzzles in it, I was like, well, this is a loss. We're just going to chalk this baby up to a loss. And anyone who's a Survivor fan is thinking, are you joking? Every immunity challenge has a puzzle. Get better at puzzles, right? <laughs> Whatever. We are who we are. And so I see this challenge that's endurance-based, and I'm like, oh, baby. I played Baylor soccer. I got this. Like, there's nothing you can throw at me that I can't endure. Like, let's go. And so I was so excited for this challenge that, like, I really felt was built for me. I was like, I run on my toes. I stand on my toes. Like, I am not worried about this one bit. I was not sweating it. I was up there feeling great. And then all of a sudden, it was like I started to get a little dizzy, and there started to be some black around the corners of my eyes, and the black started to creep in, and I couldn't really see anything anymore, and I just kind of remember telling Aurora, who was next to me, um, you know, I think I'm going to pass out, and I think she thought I was messing with her at the time because she was kind of on the chopping block that night. Mm -hmm. And I was as well. Like my name had been floated as well. So we were both kind of nervous. Um, she's like, shut up, Lauren. Like, you're going to be fine. Like, don't mess with me. And I was like, no, dude, I think I'm going to need the medic in a second. And she's like, shut up. And I was like, all right, well, if I fall down, let's get the medic. You know, I don't even really remember what I said because it's kind of a blur. And then the next thing I remember is just waking up and being absolutely so angry that I had lost a challenge that I felt like I could have won. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there were only a few endurance-based challenges, and this was one of them, and I really, really wanted to win. Um, so I was pretty angry that, you know, I had my body had given out on me, and like you said, kind of embarrassed because just as an athlete, I'm so programmed to push myself and push myself and push myself even further and further to my absolute limit. And you're not supposed to let your body go out. Your body's supposed to be there for you. And it was really frustrating to me that it wasn't. Yeah, except you're running on no food, probably very little water, very little sleep. So it's not really the same as like, you know, Absolutely. division one athlete. 100%. I'm not saying that I had any, um, I had any reason to be angry with myself. It makes absolutely no sense why I was like so frustrated with myself for being starving and dehydrated and tired, you know, like, come on. But in that moment, I was so focused on the competitive aspect of the game that I was frustrated that I wasn't able to pull it through. Mm -hmm. Now, did your head hurt at all? Because the way you fell, I don't know, it looked like that would hurt. You felt kind of from a high point. 
Yeah, I was pretty high up. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty high. Um, but no, my head didn't hurt. But I did fall like the ground had a bunch of rocks on it, like little small rocks. But a bunch of, I, I was pretty scratched up. Um, but I don't, I, I don't think I remember my head hurting a ton. I definitely felt very lightheaded for the rest of the day. Ugh, it's awful. It's an awful feeling. The scene played out slightly comedically on TV. I don't, I don't oh really my think God, they I know. I don't think they meant to display it that way, but while you're out cold, Aurora is trying to convince another player, I think Victoria, to step down so she can win immunity. And everyone that was out of the challenge was pissed at her because it's like, Aurora, read the room. Like, someone is very hurt right now. Specifically, Julie, I think, was upset. Oh, yeah. Julie, Julie was super pissed at her. like, I respect it. Do what you got to do. Like, what's she going to do? Step down and help me? No. You know, like the medics are around me. I'm obvious. Like, there's li- there's nothing she can do to help me in that moment. Mm-hmm. So she's taking advantage of like, look, you know, the medics have her. I'm not going to step down and give her mouth to mouth. So I might as well just start talking to Victoria and try and win. So like, I, I remember after this, there was a lot of discussion about this episode. Um, I had a lot of different. There were a lot of different opinions, a lot of different perspectives. You know, some people were like. That was so funny. Some people were really, really mad at Aurora. Um, and I just came out and I was like, look, absolutely no bad feelings to Aurora. I respect it. You know, like Aurora is a fighter. She is a player. And I'm here for the competitive side of Aurora. So there was no part of me that was ever, you know, angry about it. I thought it was funny. Like, I, I agree with you. I think it was, there was a funny aspect to it. I also thought it was incredibly hilarious that they put kind of like a blur over my face as I like passed out and they did it in kind of like a slow motion that's I right like, <laughs> yeah, I was like the drama, the drama. <laughs> uh, well that's a, be, being a good sport about the Aurora situation that is nice you're right I don't know that she was necessarily doing anything wrong maybe she should have just waited a minute to make sure you're okay but sure, luckily sure. you were yeah. You know, you can read a room, but I respect it. Do what you got to do to win. <laughs> Luckily, you're okay. You get back in the game. Now, the issue that a lot of viewers had with the Edge of Extinction was that eventual winner, Chris Underwood, came back into the game from the Edge so late. I think he played the actual game of Survivor about 12 days, and he came comes into the game with an idol that people don't know about. So it's like day 35 at this point. There's only a few tribals left. You're still in there. I believe Kelly's out at this point. You've got your idol, and he convinces you to use it on him. And like I said, a lot of people can be like, oh, Lauren, that's a dumb move. But you didn't know he had an idol because it's stupid to think that someone would come back with an idol, have an advantage that late in the game. So I get it. Uh, Absolutely. I am going to contest the wording you used in that sentence because he did not convince me to play his idol on Okay, him. my bad, my I bad, bad, bad choice no, of words. No, you're fine. I think that that's the word that everybody uses. They say, you know, he convinced you to play his idol on him. He convinced you to play his idol on him. And it's like, that's not, that's how it looked on TV, right? For mm-hmm. sure. But that's absolutely not what happened. I had decided I was going to play my idol on him for various reasons before I even spoke to him. And the thing is also that I think is important to kind of note is, for some reason, and I cannot explain why, I 
knew that the jury knew that I had an idol. I knew they did. And I think it's because I've, I've said this before in interviews, I perceived the edge as just this kind of like fun little waiting room. Like they're all just kind of chilling, talking, you know, suffering, but they're over there talking about everything. So I assumed Kelly would tell them about my idol and she got a lot of flack for that too. <laughs> Same thing. I was like, I mean, I guess I just figured she would like, I don't know. You guys are out of the game. Like you're not playing anymore. And that's so good knew- that you figured that. So then you couldn't be mad at her when she actually did that. <laughs> no, I know. I know. That, that, does, that does play a role in it. But it was like, when Chris came in, I went to talk to him and I like, I knew he knew I had an idol and he's like, I know, you know, he even said that he's like, I know, you know, Kelly told me something that she knows. And I was like, yeah, that I have an idol. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. Like, like I think he was surprised that I was, I knew he knew, I don't know. It was a weird conversation, but he knew that I had an idol because every time Jeff Probst would say, you know, if you have a hidden meeting dial, now would be the time to play it every jury member would look straight at me. You know, like I knew, <laughs> they knew that I had it. So it wasn't like surprising. And so when all of these different factors played into it, where it was like, okay, I think that, you know, Rick is going to play an idol. And I think that I want Victoria to go home and I can get numbers on Rick and I can get numbers on Victoria. But I think that Victoria and Rick are both going to vote for Chris. And I don't want Chris to go home because he's only played four days and I was the one who voted him out so I can beat him. You know, that's how my mind was at on day 36. So I was like, cool. There's going to be some votes on Chris. There's going to be some votes on Rick. He's going to play an idol. So his aren't going to count. I know that Chris is going to vote for Victoria. I'll play my idol for Chris and Victoria will go home and I'll be the one who sent her home. I will build my resume with this idol. I've been holding on to since day two, you know, and here's the deal that I don't think a lot of people kind of see is Okay, yeah, so I played my idol for Chris, whatever. Victoria still went home, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not in a difficult position the next day unless Chris has an idol. Like, 100%. Because I still have the numbers. I had, I had, I had um, embedded myself in this comma alliance so strongly that I had stripped Victoria of Aurora. I made Victoria vote Aurora out, which I still think is crazy that she did that. (laughs) I grabbed Gavin from Victoria. He's now loyal to me. I'd taken Julie from Ron. She's now loyal to me. You know, I had the numbers and the only thing that was in my way was that Chris had an idol, which obviously, you know, had I known, I would have I would have played it differently, um, but I didn't know. And it is what it is. And, you know, I don't, I was gambling the whole season with my idol. Like you said, kind of at that, that two, two, two tribes tribal, I was gambling. I was gambling on, on the trust I had for my team. And, and on day 36, I was gambling with a big move. I was going for the win because at this point, you know, uh, fifth place is the same as, as fourth place mm-hmm. as, you know, I, I wanted to win. Yeah, so, no, of course. I'm gambling, and sometimes it doesn't work out, but that's what Survivor is. Yeah, and it's it's easy for me or any, anyone watching it on TV having all the information to say, oh, what a bad move. But obviously, had you had all the information, you wouldn't have done what you did. And, you know, that's why no one sitting right, on the couch right. can really judge. Right, but it's like I totally understand why people look at it that way they're like are you joking who plays their idol for somebody else when there's 
six people in the game and you can only keep your idol until five, you have an idol. They're not voting for you. And you have a direct line to the final four. I totally hear them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, yeah. I see that. Um, and I guess, you know, when you haven't eaten or slept or, you know, talk to anybody that's not trying to vote you out in 36 days, you're not thinking completely straight. Um, and I thought my idea was better. So next time I will keep my idol to final five and make it the final four. <laughs> I hope there is a next time. So if they call you to play again, are you in Lauren? Absolutely. 100%. Love, Love that. I'm, I can't wait. I want you there. I'm so excited already. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that from your mouth to Jeff's ears. Yes, let's do it. You actually you got <laughs> voted off right before the final four, so you miss out on the final four in soccer and Survivor. What a tough blow! What a storyline! <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It was I, I was very close, very close, and I was pretty good at making fire. Um, I definitely wouldn't have beat Chris because Chris was like, you know, spent twenty six days on the edge just mm-hmm. practicing fire. Um, but you know, had I been in the final four, I probably would have been up against Rick or somebody. And I think I would have done okay. So love to see you beat Rick. You just never know. You never know. (laughs) Now, what's your reaction to people being upset over the winner of your season who you didn't even vote for? You voted for Gavin. Yeah, I did vote for Gavin. Um, I mean, I get why people are upset because you know, the, the thing is the people that are upset are usually like the diehard survivor fans that are like, what? You don't get to come back and win, but here's the deal. And I'm going to play devil's advocate, obviously, because I voted for Gavin, right? But it's like, he did the best he could with the days that he had. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Survivor is, I think the overarching theme of Survivor is you do what you can with the information you have, right? You do, do what you can with what you have. And he only had 12 days. And he played a terrible first eight days, right? (laughs) But then he played a fantastic last four. I mean, flawless, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he did everything right. Everything. And he obviously made good relationships with the people on the edge. And the thing about our season was it was the edge of extinction. And so I also think that um, it should be mentioned that I didn't realize it at the time, obviously, but when I look back on it, it makes sense that the people on the jury who spent all of their time on the edge are going to vote for a fellow edge member because if they don't, then it invalidates their entire experience. If they say, oh, I'm going to vote for Gavin because Chris wasn't playing the game, then all of a sudden it's like, wait, then I'm not playing the game. Oh, I can't do that. I have to, I have to vote for Chris. You know, and I'm not yeah. saying all all of them did did that, but I do think a lot of them took that into account. It was like, I have to vote for Chris because that's what I experienced. And that's what I said about why I voted for Gavin. I voted for Gavin because I felt like he played the game that I saw, right? Mm-hmm. They saw Chris playing their game. Um, and it just so happened that the majority of the people that watched Chris um, were on the edge. And the majority of the people voting for the winner were the ones that watched Chris. 
Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. I, as, a, as a fan, I see it both ways. I, some, I, I feel bad for Gavin because he literally didn't get voted out of the game, which is the most important thing. Um, and I, I felt like he should have won. But then I look at Chris and it's like, you're right. He did everything he needed to do with the time he had those last few days. So I don't, I'm not really mad at it. It's like, I, I don't really get so passionate about that, the winners and the outcome. But I see, bo- yeah. I see it both ways. No, totally. I, I absolutely understand people being upset. Um, and like I said previously, like, obviously I'm biased, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's the reason that I was voted out ultimately. Um, but I get it. I get why people voted for him. It's kind of, you know, relatively the same reason I voted for Gavin. I will say, you know, Kelly didn't vote for Chris and she was on the edge. She voted for Gavin. And I think that that plays into the fact that she understood what it takes to get to the final four and to not be voted out. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I could be wrong. Um, so correct me if I am, but I don't think he ever had a vote against him. Gavin. I, yeah, I don't think he did actually. I remember that being a storyline. Yeah, I don't think he ever had anyone vote against him, which is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. I hope Gavin gets a chance to play again. Oh, I adore Gavin. Can't speak highly enough of him. I think he's an incredible person. Aw. Speaking of that, who do you keep in touch with from your season? Obviously Gavin and obviously Kelly. Yeah, um, I, I mean, obviously Kelly is one of my very, very best friends. We talk probably at least once a week. Um, now I talk to Gavin a little. I love Aubrey. I mean, I just think Aubrey is one of those people that you feel better after you've talked to her. You know, mm-hmm. she's just so understanding and so kind. Um, you didn't play so at all I, with Aubrey, though, right? Sorry to cut you not off. Not at all. No. Yeah, no, I never played with her. I met her at um, Ponderosa, gotcha. and we just automatically clicked. Like, she is one of those people that you just vibe with right away, and mm-hmm. I adore her. Um, obviously war dog. I still talk to, um, and I really think that might be it. Um, yeah, Solid those are the people that I, yeah, those are the people that I talk to. I would say nice, I talk nice. to Reeve every day. I would say like maybe every two or three months, Reem and I'll DM and it's mostly just me being like, I think you're fantastic. And her saying something nice to me and me being like, okay, great. I think you're amazing. You know, like just like little things like that. Um, I wouldn't say we talk regularly, but I do think that Reeve is fantastic as well. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Big Reem fan. That's cool. Yeah. I really like that you and Kelly are still such good friends because on the island, it, you guys did definitely have a bond. Yeah, I mean, I would say she's one of my very, very best friends. And, you know, she's she's one of the people, and I'm going to get into gushing about her just for a like, hot second, but she's just one of those people that you want on your team. You know, she's incredibly loyal. She has your back. She tells it like it is. Um, and I think that those kinds of friendships are really rare, um, to find people that just kind of get you and don't judge you and have your back in really any situation. It's like, you know, if she's sitting in a room with someone that's talking badly about me, she's going to stand up and have my back and then walk out of the room. You know, like those are the people, those are the people you want in your life. And yeah. And I, I just, I adore her. I can't speak highly enough of her. Do you think she would play for a fourth time or do you think she's done? Uh, that is a question for her, I think. Um, I, I would lean towards she's done. Um, I would lean towards she's done just because I think she's kind of done everything she wants to do except win. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I know that she wouldn't go back and play on a uh, newbie and returner season again. Um, but I think, I think if we all got together and bullied her, we could get her to play on an all-returner season. Let's do it. I want to see her play again. I've been a Kelly Wentworth fan even like even before the second chance season. I liked her in the uh, Blood vs. Water season. I was bummed when oh, she put it out. I, I mean, I just think there's like, okay, I've said this to so many people. I would watch an entire season solely narrated by Kelly Wentworth. <laughs> Truly, every single confessional, Kelly Wentworth. Every <laughs> single tribal council, the only person talking, Kelly Wentworth. Because I just think she's so freaking funny. Mm-hmm. And she tells stories in such an interesting way. It's like I have learned so much from her storytelling. It's like I feel like when, I, when people ask me, going back to the, uh, the audition tips, it's like, um, I'm going to tell you what I learned from watching Kelly on TV. This is what I've learned. You know, like she just gives you so much. And I just, yeah, like I said, I'd watch the entire series narrated by Kelly Wentworth. Love it. I would like to see you guys both out there on a returning season. Probably wouldn't be the best situation for you guys because you definitely would be targeted over the friendship. But still, I'd like to see it. Yeah, I mean, I would obviously love to play with Kelly again. I, you know, adore her times 500 however i don't think i'd want to play with her again solely because we would be targeted right away mm-hmm. right away. i mean people would just chop us the second they saw us and oh, for sure as much as i love kelly like she is a huge threat and i feel like i would get the the brunt of that <laughs> uh, attack because people would be like all right we have to because that's isn't it so funny in survivor i've said this since i was young it's like people are like okay so we really, really are nervous about Kelly Wentworth. Very nervous about Kelly Wentworth. Yes, we definitely are worried about Kelly Wentworth. Let's vote out her sidekick. <laughs> no, it always happens. You're right. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Why are we doing that? Vote out Kelly Wentworth. You know, like, it happens all the time. And I just think it's so funny because I'm like, why do people do that? Like, I don't ever felt like, feel like I felt like doing that on my season. Maybe I'm wrong, but... It's just so funny. So I know for a fact we get on there and people will be like, oh, because I'm not a threat. Like, P- Kelly is a threat times a million. And mm-hmm. people will be like, all right, we are very scared of Kelly. Kelly and Lauren's friendship is a little dangerous, but Kelly Wentworth is a danger. Everyone, we are worried about Kelly Wentworth. Let's all vote out Lauren. <laughs> and I just, they're like, oh, God, what do I do? Oh, I know, tough. One last survivor question for you, Lauren, and then we'll wrap it up. You know, we talked a lot about the knee injuries you faced at Baylor. How did your knee hold up on Survivor? Uh, very well. Um, it held up very well. I will say one thing about the athletic side of Survivor. It is not like any type of athletic event I have ever participated in. I'm going to be honest. I thought I would do really well in challenges. I was like, oh, I have got this. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am an athlete. Um, if you heard any of my preseason interviews, I couldn't shut up about, well, I'm a division one athlete. I was like, oh God, <laughs> somebody just hit me over the head with a pan. But I, I, I remember vividly there's this one episode. It's towards the end. It's when uh, Gavin wins and he takes on the helicopter award and you kind of have to toss the ball up into like a, a crevice and then it rolls and you have to jump through some ropes and then you have to dig. I mean, I was the most pathetic challenge challenger or a, a competitor in that challenge I've ever seen. I mean, people were making fun of me left and right. I was like, I get it. Guys. I get it. It's just like stuff that you've never done. It's kind of like being at the YMCA, right? And you're like, 
okay, run across this beam and pull this flag and jump through this hoop and then solve this puzzle. And you're like, okay, um, can I kick a ball while I'm at it? You know, that's what I'm good at here, Jeff. And none of this is translating. So I would say it's like, it's hard because it's obviously a physically demanding show, but it's not necessarily like as <laughs> athletic based as I would have hoped, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if I'll explain that any better, but it was just like kind of a shock. Like, okay, I can do these things, but I'm not significantly better than anyone else. Yeah, no, I hear that. You know, I was I was fairly athletic growing up and stuff, and I'll look at the challenge and be like, there's parts of these I could probably be really good at, but then there's other parts that, you know, probably not. For sure. And I think it's like because 90% of anything we do is like tossing something or throwing something because everybody in life uses their hands, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I have zero hand-eye coordination, people. I played soccer. Like, I can't throw anything. I can't catch anything. Like, (laughs) let's start kicking some balls and then I'm in. Yeah, then you would have been great. Don't worry. Need more, uh, we'll have to uh, get in touch with the challenge guys and say, hey, we need more like feet challenges. I would actually love to see that. I'm not going to lie because I really feel like that would show some athletic ability. I hear that. (laughs) Now, after filling wrapped on Survivor, you went to Georgetown, didn't you? I did. Yes, I got my master's in physiology and biophysics, which sounds a lot cooler than it is. But uh, I got my master's there. So uh, I loved I loved that that time. I think Georgetown is an incredible school and D.C. is such a fun city. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you are, I mean, athletically, we talked about academically, you might be even better. So what's next for you? Yeah, I'm actually um, applying to medical schools. Wow. Um, and just, yeah, so hopefully one day you'll, you'll see me as a doctor. Um, if I can, trick, I can trick any of these schools to let me in. But um, yeah, I think I, I definitely am interested in medicine, and I'm not sure what that timeline is going to look like. Um, but yeah, one day I'm hoping to be in medical school. That is amazing. I'm sure you'll excel at that and a school will definitely let you in. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Lauren, I've had a lot of fun with this podcast. I like to wrap up with a couple fun questions. How does that sound? I'm so excited. All right. First question. Who is your favorite survivor player that you haven't played with? Oh, I mean... Okay, I'm going to give twofold on this. Parvati, obviously, that's just on brand for me. I think she's phenomenal. I met her in person. I was so starstruck, I couldn't even go up to her. And then she came, then, no, this is actually my claim to fame. I am not going to lie. I was at the season 40 premiere with Kelly, and I see, Par- I see Parvati walk in, and I absolutely, like, I mean, my hands started sweating. I was so nervous. I was so excited to see her. And Kelly was like, just go say hi. I was like, I can't, I can't. Oh, my God, I can't. And then she came up to me and Kelly and was like, hey, guys. And I actually, like, couldn't speak for a second. It was the most incredible thing. So party number one. And then if we're being honest, I'm obsessed with Tyson. I think he's, like, the funniest human to ever walk the planet. I think he, he should fun. have his own sh- I think he should have his own show. Um, if I could watch, I'm going to um, change my answer to a few questions before. If I could watch an entire season narrated by Kelly Wentworth and Tyson, I would do that. That'd be a good season. I'd be in. Oh, my God. It'd be so funny. So funny. So those are probably my, my top two. Nice, nice. My favorite all time is Kim Spradlin. Oh, love Kim. Love Kim. I think she's, she's great. Yeah. She's so- 
no one likes one world because it was so boring and i get it but it was boring because she dominated everyone and that was just incredible to watch her her yeah i mean just her game in that in that season was flawless Mm -hmm. amazing amazing bum that she didn't win winners at war but eh, what can you do i know i know what can you do I do love Tony, though. Tony's a... Oh, yeah, a, great. He's a Jersey player. guy. I'm a Jersey girl. Hard not to root for him. <laughs> All right. Next question. What TV show are you currently binge watching? Oh, my gosh. So I'm actually watching this incredible show. I have one episode left. I've watched pretty much the entire season last night, and it's called The Wild. Oh, my it. God. I watched, I watched it. It is incredible. Okay. It's amazing. Don't- Tell me what happens. I am on the last episode and I am so excited. It's so, so good. Excited. So highly, highly, highly recommend to anyone that has Amazon, go watch The Wilds. It was picked up for a season two. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm so excited. I heard that. Soundtrack is amazing. Oh, everything about it. The cinematography, the actors. I mean, just, just so good. So mm. good. I'm actually very sad for it to be over. It's just over for a short amount of time. We'll get season two. You have to let me know your thoughts on the season finale. I'm like really trying to zip it and not say anything. It's okay. so good. Okay. No, I'll absolutely let you know as soon as I finish it, probably as soon as we're done with this podcast. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I took so much of your time. I would. Oh I, my I knew you had the season finale yeah. to watch. <laughs> I would have pushed it back. No, it's fine. I probably need to do more productive things with my life. <laughs> All right, Lauren, last question. When COVID-19 is over, everyone's vaccinated, however you want to say it, what is the next big trip you're taking? Oh, my goodness. Um, probably to Italy. That's a good one. I've, Have you ever been? I've, wanted, I've never been, and I've always wanted to go. And my mom and dad and I were supposed to go, like, last year. Um, obviously that didn't work out. Um, and so hopefully we can do that in the coming year. I hope so. That would be a great trip. I have never been to Italy. I'm looking to go and just to eat all the pasta and the pizza and drink all the wine sometime in the future. I'm so excited, um, to one day, um, go there because I just, my mom and dad went when they, um, a couple, I mean, probably 10 years ago and they absolutely loved it like my mom's favorite place um and so I would love to just kind of see it the history all of the architecture and obviously the food Mm -hmm, for sure (laughs) that is my favorite food group (laughs) love it Lauren thank you so much for taking time to come on the podcast and talk about your great career at Baylor your academic career all that time on Survivor loved it loved every second of it and I hope to see you on my TV screen in the future on Survivor again well thank you so much for letting me talk for so long um this has been so so fun there's not a lot of people that kind of ask me about my soccer career and I think that that is a really cool thing to be able to share. So thank you so much for letting me ramble on for this long amount of time. Of course. It was not rambling. It was telling your story, and it's a very interesting one. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you so, so much. And I hope to be on your TV again soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. That was my chat with Lauren O'Connell. Hope you enjoyed it. It was great to hear about her soccer career at Baylor and all the injuries that she persevered through. A lot of people know Lauren through her time on Survivor, but don't know what she went through in college, and it was really interesting to discuss that. Hope she's back on Survivor soon. I really enjoyed her. 
I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.